Birth Stories in Color has expanded our services to include postpartum support. Postpartum is a forever journey. This support is just as sacred as birth as it is to the foundation to the beginning of your family life, whether it's your first baby or third. Postpartum support can nurture your transition and empower your family as a unit while welcoming the new member. As your postpartum doulas, we serve and support the birthing person and their family in the home and or virtually after delivery during the fourth trimester. Our in-home support enables the family to meet their needs to nourish, revive, nurture, surrender, and heal. Check out our website, birthstoriesincolor.com, under offerings to see how we may be a support to you. Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Maya Morinzoni. Hello, Maya. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. Can you start by telling a little bit about yourself and your family? Absolutely. Um, so I am a registered nurse by trade, and I am a first-time mommy of a really awesome um, one-year-old now, and um, our experience was a little different, though, with getting her into the world. She was a NICU baby. She was born at 27 weeks and one day um, because I was um, pre-eclamptic, and um, I ended up being it pre-admitted and she was born emergently during that scenario. She spent 110 days in the NICU. Um, during that time, I returned back to work and I breastfed and pumped for her that whole time. Um, but we had a lot, we had a really, really good support system. We had a really good family setting. Um, my husband was very supportive. My parents, his parents, um, a tribe. I had a doula, a black doula, and she checked on me. Um, so during that whole experience, we just had um, so much love and all that love transferred into our endurance to get her home. So that's just a little bit about me, my story, what I um, share on my social media. It, it has to do with all of that. <laughs> so tell us about your pregnancy. I mean, Going to the hospital at 27 weeks um, had to be pretty traumatic. Um, but how did the pregnancy itself go leading up to that point, even just from the point of learning you were having your baby? Yeah, so um, my pregnancy actually was great. <laughs> I had a great pregnancy for the most part. Um, I didn't have any issues um, except for that first trimester. I, we can't ignore that because that morning sickness it was hidden. It was definitely there. <laughs> um, but once that resolved, for the most part, you know, tri second trimester, which is pretty much where I was, and I was ending that going into my third trimester, um, when Aria, when when everything really happened with Aria. Um, but I was active. I actually, um, I did personal training, and I had a wellness program. I was so I was training three clients three times a week, um, trying to eat right, aside from pregnancy cravings. And I was still, you know, I was working you know, as a nurse. So uh, I worked in a clinic setting. I was on my feet. So um, I was pretty active and um, I tried to do, you know, everything that I could do to have a good pregnancy. And 
all of a sudden, uh, when I went to my doctor's appointment at 25 weeks, I had some, no, 20 weeks, I believe 20 weeks. I had some elevated blood pressures, but it wasn't terrible. Um, they referred me just to the maternal fetal specialist, just to be, um, safe, just proactive. Um, the maternal fetal specialist wasn't too worried because like I mentioned at that time, it wasn't very bad. It was maybe like in the one thirties and just hanging out around that area. Um, and I was checking it at home and it stayed around that area. Um, and at about 27 weeks, I was at work and I just felt really sick. I felt like not good. I had a bad headache and, um, I took my blood pressure and it was like 158 over like 101 or so, which is really, um, definitely hypertensive, definitely high. Um, so, you know, uh, for my people that are not in the medical field, it's definitely high. Um, so I called the nurse, um, at my OB's office, let them know what was going on. And they, um, told the doctor she prescribed me something for high blood pressure immediately. Um, I didn't mention that the maternal fetal specialist had already put me on an aspirin. So I was taking a baby aspirin already a day. And then they put me on labetalol, which is another blood pressure medication. They wanted me to take it over the weekend, see if my blood pressures would go down. They didn't. <laughs> so on Monday, when they, uh, they called me Sunday, it still hadn't went down. They made an emergency appointment for me Monday night. I went right after work and I didn't go home until after Aria was born. So, um, yeah, that was, that was not what I was expecting at that doctor's appointment. <laughs> Wasn't expecting to be wheeled over into the hospital, but, um, it resulted in her, coming safely and me being safe because by the time I got to the hospital, my blood pressures were extremely high in the 170s and 180s, which at that point, because of the symptoms I was having, it was like threatening a seizure. So um, they definitely, I'm very glad that I just went ahead and went to the, you know, emergency room and to the doctor at that point. So Maya, as um, a nurse, I mean, gosh, that's just, shocking one to know all the things right and then for your body to still be doing something like this isn't right for our listeners that are not in the medical field though um have you ever had elevated bps outside of pregnancy so no actually i was relative i was healthy um when i checked because i was curious about that question as well um i'm definitely a person that's proactive about my health as i mentioned i was a trainer for a bit so i um, really prioritized my health. I mean, I think I, I shared a lot of it, even on my social media about like different, I would do like wellness challenges and fitness challenges and things like that. And so I made it a priority to go get a physical every year, get blood work every year and check different things. And my blood pressure was never elevated previously. Um, this was something that definitely came about just during pregnancy. Um, and even after Aria was born, I still remained with the elevated blood pressures. And then after it's been about a year now, so it took almost about a year for me to go back to my baseline. And um, I've been, I think at the six month mark, I was off medication. And then from there, I just kept monitoring. So now after a year, my blood pressures are back the same and they're actually in the lower ranges um instead of the higher ranges that's kind of where I sit at baseline so um it was quite shocking for my blood pressure to be that high because 
I, that wasn't my history before. So tell us how you prepared for this birth and how you prepared for your pregnancy, you and your um, your husband getting prepared and getting everything together prior to having a baby so much earlier than you expected. Were the, was there time to do all the things you had wanted to do? Absolutely not. <laughs> there was no time. Um, <laughs> I'm like, we didn't have a baby shower. We didn't have anything. Her room wasn't ready. Like, I think we had painted one wall and that was it. <laughs> and then came the journey of, you know, going back and forth to the hospital, to the NICU. So that took up the majority of my time during the day. So it was like I didn't have a chance to do um, like the nesting phase, as they say. Um, but prior to that, leading up to it, I was able to pre- prepare because I think I mentioned before I had a doula. So um, I I really thought it was important for me to, one, have a Black OBGYN woman that was my doctor. And then I also wanted a Black female doula um, just because we know that with the ties now, um, how dangerous, unfortunately, in the United States, it can be birthing as a woman of color. And so I just wanted to really form a good support team for myself and for my husband that would be able to advocate for me should I ever be in a situation where I wasn't able to advocate or speak my wishes. Um, I know that my husband knows what I want, but I'm a medical professional. So I know that the way I would explain it may not necessarily be how he's comfortable with explaining it. So I wanted to build a good team that would really understand where I was coming from, um, that wanted to keep my baby safe and they wanted to keep me safe. So that was um, part of the preparing process. My doula helped me with um, the birthing process, like kind of mapping that area out. So I did have an idea of kind of what I wanted to do or how I wanted to birth. Um, we talked about that in the initial stages. I I got her, uh, I want to say almost like month four of my pregnancy. So we had spoken on, you know, like once a month or so to outline what the plan was. But um, with Aria coming emergently, um, we actually were planning to do my, my birthing plan in month seven. And so my doula actually came to the hospital while I was still having the symptoms we weren't they weren't talking about delivering her just yet so she came maybe about like day three or so and out of the eight that I was there before she was born and we did the birth plan there um we talked about both scenarios um one being which is what the doctors were hoping for which was extremely optimistic now that I think about it with having somebody that had those high blood pressures but they wanted Aria to at least stay in until 34 weeks at that time, I was 26 weeks pregnant. Well, 20, um, 26 weeks, yeah. And so that's a long time. <laughs> and some moms, some moms are able to do it. But I just knew with the way that my blood pressure was not being managed and I kept having those those um, episodes that that wasn't, that might not have been the case for us. So my doula came and we discussed um, the things that I could control as far as with my birth plan. So Um, They did mention to me, my doctor told me that I could either have birth vaginally or I could birth through a cesarean. It was my decision. However, since I wasn't, my my water didn't break, I wasn't having any contractions, it would have to be an induced birth. 
So um, that was something that I had to consider. And there also was, um, you know, the the other side of do I get have a cesarean for a birth as well? Um, so I discussed those options with my doctor and with my doula. Um, I discussed little things like I wanted to have delayed cord clamping as much as possible. I wanted to, um, you know, have my husband be present to be able to clip the cord, different things like that. You know, I wanted those things. And so I was able to discuss that with my doula before the situation got so dire and emergent and she had to just come out and then I would be like, oh, well, I don't know what I want to do, <laughs> you know, so, um. I was glad that at least I was able to control that part. So she was born via cesarean because I decided that that was my choice. So, um, yeah, that, that was how I was able to prepare <laughs> for the emergencies. Right. And, and I love that you own that. Like, that was your decision. That's something that you didn't go through all these different scenarios and taking your body through a lot that it was already doing a lot of work. Right. Yeah. Now, when we talk about your how they were treating your high blood pressure, um, you said that you started with labetalol. Did they use any other forms of treatment? No. So they really just stayed with the labetalol, of course. Oh, I, I forgot. I also had magnesium sulfate. Oh, my goodness. I will never forget that one. Never, never, never. Because that I hate that medication. I hope I never have to have it in my life. I'm like scarred. I have PTSD from magnesium sulfate. I feel like there needs to be a commercial like, have you or someone you know been suffered emotional damage from magnesium sulfate? <laughs> because that medication, it makes you hot, it makes you cold, it makes you sick and nauseous, and you can't eat anything because normally they give you that in preparation for you possibly having to have the baby because they want to make sure that the baby's lungs and everything are as developed as possible. So I would go on magnesium sulfate for 24 hours and I would be starving, starving, sick, nauseous. Plus I was having the labetalol um, every, I think it was, was I six hours, something like that. I was getting the labetalol too, to try to pull the blood pressure down. So both of those things. And if it stayed, you know, if they, it was able to be lowered because they would check my blood pressure every hour, if it was able to be lowered, then she could stay in. And then they would allow me, like if it got to a certain range, I think if, if it got down to about the 140s or so, then they would take me off the max sulfate and I could go back into like just the observation area. So I literally moved rooms. I would go from the OB floor, get stable, go back down to observation and back and forth. I think I did that four times, literally had to pack up the room and everything. <laughs> four times back and forth so in that eight days that I was there before she was born I can I think I probably ate four times because I was NPO or nothing by mouth for the majority of the time there so it really sucked yeah it was terrible <laughs> but those were the only two medications that I remember besides like fluids that I had for the blood pressure treatment well, that's what I figured you, you had to take. Um, and when you're in a hospital, they also just, just call it MAG. So make sure, you know, if this is something that ever happens to someone else, like get get the names of things and, mm -hmm. and know what's, not that you have a whole lot of control, you know, because you want your blood pressure to go down. But, you know, um, I think yeah. sometimes a lot of conversation in hospitals is such shorthand that we don't 
a lot of times the patient themselves don't know what's going on, you know? Um, yes, yes. And then we talk about informed consent and that's part of it. Like if somebody just says mag, you're like, well, what is that? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I know that's common. And you as a nurse, you knew what it was. Um, mm -hmm. So... Yeah. And I, yeah, and too, uh -huh. even for my, my other moms that may be in the medical field, I mean, prescribing something or hanging something as a nurse is very different from being administered the medication yourself. Um, so, I mean, I, I can definitely remember being hanging it or hanging Pitocin to induce, you know, um, contractions and things like that. But when it's actually happening to you, it's scary. Um, and you your brain is not necessarily always computing or thinking about all the things that you normally would be thinking about, you know, like in, for my, for me, my mind as a nurse, I'm thinking of it in a technical way. So I'm like, okay, so the body would be doing this, but yeah, when it's your body, <laughs> it's not, it's harder to think about because you're experiencing that. If that makes any I think that's that's a key point and learning to take that hat off. Um, and for you, it seems like it was almost not it wasn't even by choice that you took that hat off, but allowing yourself to just be a patient in that moment um, and yeah. kind of taking away all that extra knowledge and just being like, this is me today. Right. Um, yes. And I have a care team that's supposed to be doing that part. So I don't have to do that part. Yes. I'm I still having you know, control over it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I did have to do that because it's it's a scary time and you need to be able to kind of focus a little bit. So if you're thinking on the technical side, it's hard for you to really see what's going on for yourself in that situation. Um, just in case you do have to be the one that makes some of those decisions. You don't want to be so wrapped up in, you know, the the logistics of the situation that you can't advocate for yourself if it's an emergent situation that's happening. Or be able to tap somebody else that's with you, your partner, you know, your loved one that knows what your plan is and be like, hey, I need you to say this because I'm not really in a situation or headspace to do it. So tell us about your birth experience. Ooh, so um, I actually am very proud of my birth experience because I feel like that was the one thing that I was in charge of. <laughs> um I knew that um, that morning they did the ultrasound to check on Aria to see if she was able to get um, like adequate blood flow and nutrients through the placenta, like through her cord. So they did an ultrasound detailing that and they noticed that there was absent flow through there. So she wasn't getting any nutrients. She wasn't in distress, but she wasn't getting the right flow that she needed. So um, thankfully, because I had discussed with my doula already that I wanted a cesarean because of the fact that I didn't want to, like I said, this was a lot of stress. I mentioned before that we, you know, moved rooms. I had medication. I hadn't eaten. I was tired because you don't sleep in the hospital. There were so many factors going on. I felt like the cesarean was the one thing that I could control because I felt like that would secure that she would be delivered safely. Um, not to say that my body couldn't have um, delivered her vaginally. I actually wanted a vaginal birth originally, but the idea of having Pitocin and being induced when she already was kind of in this um, possibly compromised state, they, you know, uh, machines and monitors only tell you so much. So 
we didn't know exactly what was going on in there. We knew that she wasn't in distress, but she also wasn't getting all the nutrients she needed. So it's like, why would I put her in a possibly traumatic birth scenario, you know, with pushing my body and rushing my body before it was ready when we could just do the cesarean It's still a major surgery, but we can get her out and she'll be fine, which is what we did. Um, you know, I was able to call my husband cause out of the eight days that he was there with me and he was off work that Monday that she was born was the first day he went back to work because <laughs> we anticipated me being in the hospital longer. Um, so he can't, we had enough time to have him come back. Um, they got me ready, got me prepped and she was, uh, born via cesarean with her eyes wide open and screaming. She was in great health. <laughs> I don't think she stopped talking since that moment, honestly. She even when she was in the incubator, she would be fussing. Um, but that that experience was good to me because one, they took my pain into consideration. I I definitely talked to them. I talked to my doctor beforehand and I said, you know, like, if I don't feel this epidural and I tell you I don't feel it, we gonna stop. Cause I'm going to say stop. And if you don't stop, we got a problem, you know? So I, I did, I talked about that because we hear, you know, scary stories about things like that. And so um, it's not necessarily that I had armed myself for the worst case scenario, but at the same time, you do want to prepare. So I'm like, if I say something, <laughs> I need you all to realize I mean it, you know? So I was telling the doctors and <laughs> while I'm laying on the table, we're having full conversations from the other side of the sheet. <laughs> But it was, it, I was like, it's fine. Cause I need to know. I'm like, is she fine? And she, they're like, I've never seen a baby at 27 weeks come out like this. And I heard her, you know, I heard her little cry and, you know, my husband got to see her and actually she was out for a little bit before they kind of had to whisk her away, and, you know, bring her to the NICU. So, um, I, I think I actually, Though it was very stressful because we knew the situation, I still feel like I had a really good experience and a good good birth. I choose to think of it as a good birth because of the result. You know, some people can get stuck and caught up on the stress of it and just allow that trauma to embrace it. But I think the outcome of having my healthy baby there, aware, screaming, you know, that outshadow everything and made it a good experience for me. I love that. I love that for you. I love that you have, like I said before, taking ownership of the parts of your birth that are really empowering for you. And you did that, right? You have done that and done the work. Like you said, like there's some mental mental work that has been done since then, right? And it's and you're able to look at it in a different way. So immediate postpartum, you're separated from baby though. Because she's tiny. How much did she weigh? She was a pound and six ounces. 660 oh grams. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. 630 grams, actually, I think. You know, we don't do the metric system. <laughs> yeah, she, she was a nugget. She literally fit in the palm of my hand. And so did you, you said your husband got to see her, but you didn't. I didn't. I did not get to see her until a full 24 hours after. Yeah. Um, yeah, I saw pictures. My husband went straight to the NICU and got, you know, tons of pictures for me. Um, and my mom, um, which was, this was such a special moment. My 
mother-in-law, my mom, and um, both our fathers were waiting in the room that I originally was in. And when they were rushing her over to the NICU, the nurse knocked on the door and, um, you know, told my parents, like, here, come on, you can see her. <laughs> so my both grandparents got to see her immediately after. And they was just like, why her eyes open? <laughs> like, what, what's she doing? She's like, I'm here. Yes. So, here. yes, I had those <laughs> pictures because, of course, you know, they had to get their pictures as soon as they could see her. Um, so I had those moments there, but that was tough. That was really tough not being able to see my baby. Like, I don't think it registered to me that once I had her, I wouldn't be able to see her. I, I don't think it computed, um, especially from a C-section, you know, because you're recovering and they don't let you up really for 24 hours afterwards. And I didn't think about that. Well, it's not the C-section. It's the mag. It was the magnesium that I had because they're like, no, because you couldn't be weak. You can fall. You had to be on bed rest for 24 hours. And I was livid. I was so mad. Mm-hmm. I was like, y'all didn't tell me that. <laughs> like, I feel like I missed this part. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I definitely feel like I missed that part. So, moms, if if that's the case for you, yeah, they're going to try to put you on bed rest. And you better tell them that uh, <laughs> as soon as that 24 hours is up, have that wheelchair ready outside of your door to go over there. That's right. Yeah. Man. So. so what was postpartum like? You said that you were there for, baby was there for over 100 days, right? Yeah. Yes. And you were going back and forth. Yeah, back and forth. I did. Uh, so for postpartum, um, I stayed at the hospital an additional three days after she was born. After that point, I was definitely ready to go because I hadn't eaten. That bed is not comfortable. Um, The food is not good. (laughs) And um, I was just really there to be with her. Uh, I also had started um, breastfeeding. So immediately after she was born, I was pumping. Um, And I actually was able to give a decent amount of colostrum. I mean, she had tons of little tubes of colostrum um ready for her when I left in the NICU um so um when we went home that was that was tough I I had geared myself up to be okay and as soon as we got in that car I felt like I wanted to kick and scream and just get out like unlock the door and run back to the hospital I just felt that internal pulling it was terrible um but through that process, you know, through a lot of tears, through a lot of crying, and I did. And one thing that I will say it taught me is just to be, it's okay to be vulnerable. I really confided in my mate. I really confided in my parents. I really, um, I showed my emotions. You know, a lot of times we always say like, you know, you got to be strong or, you know, how you doing? Oh, I'm okay. I learned to say when I'm not okay. And that whole time, I was not okay. Um, Even as she got older, just little things, being able to, um, you know, share milestones and everything. I didn't get to do that with family because it was COVID, you know. So only myself and my husband were able to go to the NICU. Um, My parents did take me. My both my parents, they would drive me back and forth to the hospital sometimes. And I applied both of them. I'm so thankful for both of them because my mom would go to the NICU and drop me off. 
And she would sit there for hours all day. She would just be, she would go and she's like, oh, I'm going to find a cafe or I'm going to go and do something else. I'm going to run some errands out here. And um, I didn't mention that the hospital was uh, in traffic about an hour away from where we lived. So that was kind of a lot because my, my parents only live five minutes away from me. So they weren't close, you know, just able to kind of drop me off and leave. So um, it meant a lot that they would do that for me sometime. And I, at, at a certain point, I was able to drive. It was just like, they're like, no, let's take that away from you. You know, we will own that. We can we can take you to and from and, and be there for you a little bit. Um at about the one month mark of her being in the NICU, I ended up um, definitely seeking out some therapy because I was having issues with sleeping. I was still pumping around the clock. Um, I was still, um, I was still just, you know, making sure that she was taken care of, but I felt like I wasn't taking care of myself. Um, and so I did get therapy and I had therapy all the way past her coming home I worked through therapy um I'm at a good space now so I'm not in therapy currently but um I worked through it um postpartumly and I would recommend any any mother any father um get it especially to be able to provide support um to each other and to that baby going forward you know um and especially if you are a NICU parent, there is a real thing that's called NICU PTSD. And people don't talk about it because they're just really re- realizing that the effects of that the NICU have <laughs> on it. Um, I'm actually in the process of becoming a certified breastfeeding specialist. So like a lactation consultant. And that was one of the classes that I had to take to detail how to help parents um, and provide them with resources and assistance when they show signs of NICU PTSD. And as I was doing the class, I was like, oh, shoot, that was me. (laughs) And I didn't even know it, you know. I'm like, oh, okay, no anxiety with sleeping, being nervous about them coming home, not necessarily being able to, um, like nest to create a a space for them because you're nervous that they might not come home like just so many of those little things I didn't realize that's that was me now (laughs) I was going through that plus there's the normal postpartum symptoms that you have um so even when I would be sitting with her in the NICU I was just like I was so scared like I knew she was mine I knew she was my baby she came from me she looked just like my husband (laughs) I knew she was mine but it was just like looking at her I was like what what if she doesn't come home like I've bonded with her I love her so much what if Mm -hmm. something happens I don't know what to expect each day I'm I was scared, you know, and so I didn't know how to process that. So I had to do therapy to get through that. Um, Dang, I know you said you was going to, we might cry. I wasn't expecting to, Um, (laughs) but I had to work through that to be able to um, express to others what was going on with me, why I was irritable, why I was frustrated why I didn't feel like getting out the bed or why um I would go to the NICU later on in the day um 
that that was one thing I remember I had to explain to my mom. She was like, you're not going first thing in the morning. And what she didn't realize was I didn't, I would come home like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock from the NICU and I wouldn't go to bed. I wasn't sleeping. So when I finally drifted off to sleep, it would be like maybe five, six in the morning and I was finally getting sleep. So it was throwing off my rhythm because I would have this anxiety from leaving her. So it would be hard for my body to settle down, to go to sleep. And it was just really difficult. Uh, The one thing I will say, I didn't have to, I had nothing against taking medication um, to help with that, but I didn't have to. I kind of, as I started to speak about my feelings and express myself instead of trying to bottle it up, it really helped me to be able to cope in that way instead of just um, internalizing all those feelings. Um, But if you ever are prescribed medication, and you feel that you need to take it, you might benefit from it. It's nothing wrong with it. Um, I wasn't against it. I just, I just felt the layers falling off of me as I expressed it to other people, you know, to my therapist, to my husband, to my mom, you know, I did. There was so many times where I just said, I'm just not okay today. You know, I would leave the NICU And I had been there for eight hours and I still like that wasn't enough. That's not all day. (laughs) Moms come home with their babies and they're with their babies all day, you know, and it just wasn't it wasn't the same for me. So um, and then there was also the fact that I had to go back to work um, during that process because I decided that um, I, I looked into my benefits at the time and I had short-term disability that kicked in for the c-section part but then they also would have had me have another section for the mom and child bonding which is like your actual maternity leave um which I didn't want to take that because I was like well I'm I'm gonna have to take that when she comes home like what's what happens when she does come home once I kind of work through the fact that I'm gonna think positive and we're gonna put positive energy out there she's gonna come home What's going to happen when she does and now I have to go back to work? Absolutely not. So I'm, you know, <laughs> put my scrolls back on and I went back to work. So that was a lot to deal with, too, because I was still pumping um, because at that time um, she was exclusively getting breast milk, but she also was getting uh, fortifier. Um, so like extra calories, she got uh, this product Prolacta to help which by the way if you guys moms if you don't use that or if you don't know about Prolacta um, it is a human milk-based fortifier so it's made from like another mother's donor donated breast milk they make this fortifier to add extra calories into your breast milk so that baby can get home sooner so she was getting that plus my breast milk which I'm very grateful for because there are other products out there that you know that they can use but um if they're cow milk based but with preemies it can have some detrimental effects and a lot of that information I didn't know until I researched later on so that was stuff that I found out like postpartumly as I was like researching and looking and I was like oh I'm so glad that I looked into this and that I said this and advocated for myself for her to have that because I didn't know of the potential complications that could happen from using animal products too soon on premature babies. So just had to throw that out there because that was something 
um, that I didn't know was an option for me. I'm glad that my NICU actually had that product, but for other moms that may not have that, that's an option. Uh, you can ask for that too. You know, say you want something that's human milk based and they have to look for it. They do. Um, but yeah, it just during that process, I just, um, I focused. It's hard to say you you want to focus on yourself because you also focus in so much on baby. Um, and if you have a partner, you're trying to focus on them too and still be cordial and live and not be mean and honorary and <laughs> frustrated and snippy to them. Um, so postpartum was just like a roller coaster. Honestly, I talked with my mom because during that time we had a lot going on to um, like my husband got fired. We had to move from our house and we had to buy a new house. Um, <laughs> plus, I was still working and going to the NICU and breastfeeding and pumping. And so we had all of these things happening and I still had to prepare for a nursery. I was trying to like do all of these things and I still had a side business, which I ended up, like I said, I was a personal trainer. So I still had that as my side business at the time. I I don't know how I did it. I don't know. I think it's um, adrenaline, <laughs> a lot of adrenaline, because when I look back, I, I honestly am shocked. I, I don't know. Um, I can't say that I don't recognize that person that was there. I know she was a determined woman that had to become a mother that had to step into those shoes very quickly and make really major decisions very quickly. Um, so I love that. I love that part of myself. I love that I was able to transition to that. But I think putting that part into who I am now was difficult <laughs> because now I was like, oh, so I don't have to be all revved up. I don't have to be ready to go all the time. You know, like I, it, I, it was hard to pull that back down. I was like ready to make decisions and ready to make changes constantly for a while. Um, even after she got home, we still were making choices. She still had follow-up appointments. She still had physical therapy, which she still does, um, and occupational therapy and speech therapy and all of those things. So it was still a lot of decisions that we had to make. It was just learning that giving myself grace to um I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it giving myself grace um well I want to say being gracious for the person that I became in that situation um being proud of the fact that I was able to advocate and then I was able to make those decisions but also being um confident enough to know that those were lasting decisions that I don't necessarily have to make all the time. It was just, that was a moment that was something that happened. It's not a lasting, it is a lasting effect on our life, but that person and all those feelings and emotions that I had to manifest at that time, they don't have to carry into me as I continue to grow as a wife, as a mother, as a nurse, as a woman, you know, it's still in there. And if I need to pull it out in another emergency situation, I know I can. But I had to learn how to, you know, kind of put put it down a little bit. I was just walking on 10 all day, all the time, even at work. Yeah, That's a whole word, though, Maya. Um, 
you dropped a lot of gems and a lot of um, terms that I think are going to be important for some of our listeners. Um, Nikki PTSD, there might be someone right now, you know, who's going through that yeah. or went through that and haven't maybe not processed it yet in a way that makes sense to them yet and recognizing it for trauma, you know, and not just seeing like, oh, it's just something I couldn't control and something that happened. Um, putting a name to it, saying like this happened, saying the words that you didn't know if your child would make it. Those are hard things to say. Mm -hmm. They're really hard things to say. Um, And letting other parents that are going through that hear that and knowing like, okay, I'm not just being pessimistic. This is, this is something other parents have gone through and they've experienced these same thoughts and it's normal to feel that way and to think those thoughts. Um, you talked about your partner a little bit. Do you remember some of the conversations that he had with you about his experience? Like he was there seeing you through all this, all these challenges with your medical history at that birth, going through the surgery, mm-hmm. whisking off away with the baby, yeah. um, all those things. Has, has he had a chance to process that stuff with you as well? Yeah. So, um, we, so that's actually funny that we mentioned that we had a good conversation because um I told him he needed to go to therapy because he is that person to internalize things my husband is way um a lot more mild tempered than me um if y'all haven't already noticed if you haven't noticed um I can be on 10 sometimes I can go from zero to 100 really quick (laughs) no shame in that and um my husband is always the one that's a little bit more mellow he's like let's look at all the options let's let's slow it down a little bit um with that being said even through the whole process he was like I felt like he felt like he had to support me during this and he didn't have a chance to really feel the feelings because he had to support us he had to make sure that I was okay because if I was okay then we had breast milk and if we had breast milk then the baby would be okay you know just like little things like that that's that was how he was feeling and um we actually um so we are um our faith is we're Jehovah's Witnesses and we were actually talking to some other members in, in our congregation and um they were one one actually one of our elders was talking with us and you know just encouraging us giving us a lot of um you know just upbuilding comments and they you know they mentioned to Patrick like you know you you really been holding everything down you've been you know you've been here you've been present and you've been doing all those things to have you know your wife mentioned that she talked to somebody did you talk to somebody <laughs> and he was like you know, I I really just, I, I haven't had the time and I haven't did this. So he and I actually had that conversation after we talked with them. And I was like, how do you feel about therapy? Are you against it? And he's like, no, you know, I think it's just um, sometimes I feel like with men and them feeling that they have to be the head of household, they allow all these other distractions to overshadow mental health for them because they feel like they just have to be present Um, They have to be supportive. They have to get it done. They have to figure things out Um, when in actuality that mental health 
is something that has to happen. <laughs> you know, in order for you to be functioning, you have to take care of yourself. Um, so that I know that is something that he's going to be pursuing actually in the next couple of months or so. Um, the problem is, uh, right now, at, at least in the Chicagoland area, uh, the Chicagoland area where we are, therapists are hard to find, honey. They are booked and busy. <laughs> so he's actually had a few intake appointments where they were like, okay, well, we d- we'll do the appointment. But we don't have any appointments for actual sessions until 2023. So that's been the issue. So we've been looking at some other sources to try to help him just be able to communicate and get his feelings out, too. Um, Because, like I mentioned, I'm vocal, but I, I know he's not. And so I would love to help him find a safe space to be able to um, really get all of his emotions out. And he talks to me, but it's different. It, it's good to be able to confide in your mate, but it's it's different. It's a different kind of self-work in therapy, honestly. Um, so yes. that's what, yeah, to encourage him to do that. Right. And a different type of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Men kind of, like you said, they can really be closed off, not really feeling like they can take, put, take off that, the guard down. And yeah. yeah. Really admit. Yeah. It's been a war going on in there. <laughs> exactly. And they have a hard exterior sometimes just because of things going on. My husband is um my husband is a black man, you know. So they with the other contributors to the world, um, you know, um, well I should say he he identifies as being black. He's mixed, but you know how it is if you you got some black and you're black. <laughs> and so he's had to deal with situations just like everybody else. And I feel like even just addressing those things and how he views the world and how he has had to deal things, deal with things and viewing how I had to deal with things as a black woman and had, how I had to advocate for things um, that I know that was difficult for him to hear me have to explain why I have to do that. Like, you know, before I made certain choices, um, we discussed them together. They weren't just my choice with my body. We decided things for our daughter. And so with me explaining why I wanted to make certain choices and how, unfortunately, some of those had to do with me being a black birthing woman, I can tell that hurt him, you know, to, to hear that we had to go through those situations and that I had to advocate for Aria and then I was slightly worried about certain situations even on her case um making sure that she would be okay as a, a you know a little black baby making sure she would be good you know that I know that was hard for him so I want him to be able to have a safe space to be able to um speak his truth and own those emotions and be able to develop as a a man a father a husband you know all of that um, Cause I feel like he allowed me that grace. He allowed me to grow and feel good and be able to function. So I'm like, I can hold you down while you do some self work. That's fine. <laughs> I love that. Maya, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners, whether it be resources or advice, if there is anything else that has supported your journey through your pregnancy, as well as these early stages of parenthood that really have resonated with you that you want other people to access? Absolutely. Um, So first, I would say 
um, for any new parents or even parents that may not have had this experience, I do recommend getting a doula. Um, just another person that's familiar with the birthing experience that um, can advocate for you that may be uh, familiar with certain health conditions or certain emergent situations that could arise that could just be there to help you um, and prepare you ahead of time. Uh, I definitely would suggest that. Um, also, nobody wants to, no, nobody expects for their um, baby not to come home with them. That's never the ideal circumstance. So it's hard for me, like, you know, I wouldn't want to say, okay, you know, all parents, just make sure you familiar with the NICU just in case. But honestly, once I really thought about the situation, it's important because not, not to say that your baby will be born emergently or early, but there's been cases where we've had full healthy term babies that have had to go to the NICU. So make sure that you speak to your, um, you know, doc, your baby's care team and your care team and actually know if there's a NICU in the hospital that you're going to be delivering at. Um, if it's going to be closer to home, you want to make sure that that's, you know, it's going to be within a, a good traveling distance for you all um, so that you can get back and forth to baby should anything ever happen. You also want to make sure that it's an adequate NICU that um, will be able to care for baby if they need more treatment. You know, sometimes they just have a small nursery and they don't have an actual NICU that can deal with any uh, birthing traumas that might happen with the baby. So they might have to transfer them to another area. So make sure you're familiar with that just in case. Um, you know, we prepare for our births. We go look at the birthing centers. We go look at all of those things. Look at the NICUs too. Make sure you you know that, you know, for yourself. Um, I would also definitely recommend, of course, if you don't have a birthing plan to try to get a birthing plan, um, just so that you can have that set for yourself. You, so that even if things change, you have some things that you feel like you can be in control of that really helps with your anxiety during that time. Um, when so many things may be out of your control, you know, um, and then, um, of course, uh, I mentioned before that I am, um, becoming a certified breastfeeding specialist. And I'm also a breastfeeding peer counselor, counselor already and a registered nurse. So um, I can't, I cannot attest enough to the power of breastfeeding. Um, I know it's a difficult journey. I, I can speak that. I can, I can own that truth because I'm still breastfeeding. I'm my daughter's 16 months. And so um, I can tell you it's hard. I know it's, I know it's difficult, but it's so worth it. You know, it's so worth it. And if you're having a difficult time with breastfeeding, get help. You know, a lot of people don't realize that your insurance does cover for you to see a lactation consultant. They do have resources out there. You do not have to fiddle through breastfeeding alone. Just like you would go to the doctor if you had an ailment or if you had issues, you can get a lactation consultant. Now we are in the age of social media. Instagram it, look for somebody, do a virtual consultation if you're, you know, if you are really concerned. Um, and if you want someone that looks like you, that understands your experiences, because sometimes in the hospitals, um, I hate to say it, but they, they're older white women and <laughs> they might not necessarily understand what it's like to breastfeed as a black woman um, whose mother may not have breastfed her 
whose aunts or um, family may not have breastfed. We have been, you know, may have been pushed on formula. And so they don't know about advocating or um, the stand that you have to take in your family to be able to breastfeed or the knowledge that you might have to provide to your family members about breastfeeding, how to sanitize parts about milk um, safety and things like that. They don't, they may not understand that. So you can advocate for yourself. There are so many lactation consultants that are ready to help you. We do not want to see you struggle, girl. If your if your nipples are hurting with breastfeeding, call somebody. Don't just di- don't just tough it out. It's not supposed to be terrible. It's not supposed to be a bad experience. There's support. There's help for you. I'm like, I can I can go on a soapbox for that one. It, it, I just felt that one because I because <laughs> I know it's it's frustrating. You having a hard time with your schedule. You trying to figure out pumping and working and how to store milk and build some kind of stash before you go back to work. All of that, like we have resources, but I feel like a lot of things kind of feel like they're gate kept and they shouldn't be. It's Mm. important for us to spread that within our community to know that we can provide support to each other. um, If we see breastfeeding moms um, and also to help them to find resources if they need it. And also, mama, if you decide to supplement with some formula here and there, that's your business. That is your business. And that is just fine, too. Yeah. It, I'm like, it's it's okay. Like, I love, I, I'm always going to advocate for a breastfeeding mom because that's what I did. But if that's what you choose to do, that's fine, too. That baby is fed. That baby is happy. That baby is not hungry. <laughs> and that baby loves you and is happy that they're eating. That's the important thing. So, you know. For me, because I had a premature baby, I'm always going to advocate for a mom that's a NICU mom to breastfeed because I can I can attest to the facts and the how breastfeeding helped my child. But you do what's good for you and your mental health. Okay, don't don't burn yourself out trying to do too much. But if you also feel like it's getting to be too much, don't count it out before you get help. That's that's my biggest thing. Don't count it out before you get help. And if you do get help and you feel that it's still not for you, then that's fine, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, and if you ever need resources or help, um, I think I mentioned like a few. Of course, uh there's things, there's resources like the March of Dimes that help. There's also uh Sylvie Bells, which is a program that helps with um NICU moms and babies, um, with the Sylvie Bells helps with um providing babies or I should say families with like assistance for parking if they're at a hospital facility where they need to park and it's not you know, you know the hospital doesn't pay for it or um, if they need lunches they can provide you with gift cards for lunches and things like that so that's just a few of the resources that I know offhand that I can think of that might help you um, and then myself I'm a resource um <laughs> I am a lactation consultant. I am a previous NICU mom. I am a mom of a 16-month-old that's tearing my house up. And that's okay. (laughs) So if you need help, (laughs) we are here. I'm here for you. You know, mamas, um, I am going to be, I actually, I was on live with another lactation consultant. Her name is Trina. Um, she's from the Lactating Mama on Instagram. We were live yesterday and we were just talking about the importance of forming some kind of community. So please, 
Um, if you're interested, you can follow me on Instagram at mayamorazoni. Um, or at mayamorazoni. That's my um, Instagram handle, and then on TikTok too, um, at mayamorazoni. R N, uh, or I think it's at mayamo because somebody took my name. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> on TikTok. Um, and I also have a website, uh, mayamorazoni.com. So you can please. I'm, I, my goal for 2023 is to form a community, whether it be a Facebook group, whether it be a um, another segment on my website, something where I'm going to be having a safe space and creating a community for moms, NICU parents that may need help, and just moms that may need lactation help or support. So um, you know, if you're interested in um, finding out more information about that, getting you know having and connecting with other parents or whatnot, please, you know, just follow me. It'll be up soon. I'm trying to give myself a little grace because this year has been a little crazy. Um, so it'll probably be happening into 2023. But if you follow me, you will see when the notifications come up. But um, yeah, I think that's all my resources that I have for you all. If anything else pops up, if you ever need help with pumps or um, nursing or Nick, you questions, you know, slide in the DMs. There he is. And we'll make sure all of that is on your blog so they have a connection. And of course, we tag for all the um, social media requests and things. But Maya, thank you. Thank you for sharing not only your truth, but just all these important gems with um, your experience in the NICU, talking about your own mental health. This is a very vulnerable space to be in. And I get that. Um, really sharing yourself, but it also allows our listeners to connect with someone. Someone else is going to listen to the story and see themselves, you know, see themselves in some part of it and know that they're not alone. And now they also have some additional resources, including yourself. So yay, <laughs> love that. I love it too. I'm so glad that I was able to join and just spread the knowledge. It's so important for us to just speak because I feel like I didn't see a lot of moms that looked like me that had NICU experiences so that's what really motivated me to share um you know when I looked for support um I looked on Facebook and I looked on Instagram and I was like where are all the moms that look like me who is this a, is this a rare situation that just doesn't happen to black mothers like where, where are we all at and as I started to share my experience I started to get more mothers saying the same thing, how they were glad that I was speaking up, that I was sharing. They appreciated my updates about my daughter. Um, you know, they wished that they had had that for them or that they had shared it. So that just motivated me to continue to be a voice and and just share the experience so that somebody else that's looking in, that's going through that situation can see themselves in that in that situation and that it does get better. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. Birth Stories in Color has expanded our services to include postpartum support. Postpartum is a forever journey. This support is just as sacred as birth as it is to the foundation to the beginning of your family life, whether it's your first baby or third. Postpartum support can nurture your transition and empower your family as a unit while welcoming the new member. As your postpartum doulas, we serve and support the birthing person and their family in the home and or virtually after delivery during the fourth trimester. 
Our in-home support enables the family to meet their needs to nourish, revive, nurture, surrender, and heal. Check out our website, birthstoriesincolor.com, under offerings to see how we may be a support to you.